This morning we're reading from Romans 7, verses 12 through 25. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Reading God's Word. Morning. You can tell this is a guy in some agony, right? He's just, I don't know, I've been there. Um, I do send you greetings from down in Charlottesville, where a bunch of us were down this weekend, and I'm doing manly things down at the uh, retreat. We got to shoot guns together and shave together and, you know, manly things. Yes. Oh, okay, yes. So um, there will not be after, we usually do a Romans discussion group on there. There will not be one today. We'll do it again next week, but um, thank you. Thank you. Youth group at the Fremont's house tonight at 6, 7.30? What time? 6 to 7.30. Thank you. Okay. We good? Come on. Bring them on. Bring on the announcements. All right. All right. Open your Bibles if you got them. <laughs> if you've got, if you've got uh, your Bible open to Romans chapter 7, we're going to dig in a little bit to what maybe Paul's meaning by this. We, um, You know, he said, we looked last week at, at the fact that he says we're dead to sin and yet we sin what does that mean it talked we talked about the fact that we're being having died to sin means sin doesn't rule over us doesn't mean it can't have effect on us but it doesn't obligate us to sin you are now able to live differently because of the holy spirit that lives within you he also says we're dead to the law which means you are not constrained by just what the law says and that when you know what the right thing to do, we use this, I've used this analogy of the speed limit. Just because you know the speed limit is 25, it doesn't mean you want to go 25, 
right? It just means you know now the, where your disobedience is. And so he says, okay, but there's now something new happening. There's a new way to live being alive to God and the Holy Spirit. So in Romans 7, if you've got your Bible, look at with me at Romans 7, verse 7, chapter 7, verse 7. He says, okay, so if the law tells me what I do wrong and I get convicted of that, does that make the law itself bad? says, no, no, that's not, that's not right. You don't understand it. We talk about things like I've died to the law and uh, I want to be free from the law. It makes the law sound like a bad thing. That if we know the right thing to do and it's written down for us, and it, but we can't do it, then some people's answer, and in our generation we see this, some people's answer is, well then, get rid of the law. There shouldn't be any law. shouldn't be any rules. If it just makes me feel guilty then I would just put it aside, get rid of it. And Paul says, no, it's it's a signpost for us that actually helps us. Why does it help us? Okay, in verse 7 it says, if I had not, if I if I if it had not been for the law, I wouldn't have known what sin was. Just to say, oh, well, I, because I can't obey it, then let's just let's just forget about it. That's like saying, well, I'll just put a piece of tape over the speedometer and that way I'm not speeding anymore. Right? Just because you don't, knowing where the right thing to do, because there's a reason the law is there. God made us to flourish by walking in his ways. So he says, okay, it's going to help you to understand what sin is. So that's the first thing that the law does for us. The purpose of the law isn't to make you right with God, though. It's to reveal to you how you can't be right with God. Number two, verse eight, purpose of the law says this. Sin seized an opportunity through the commandment and it produced in me. In Paul's case, he was covetousness. I think Paul is sort of confessing here that covetousness, he says he uses coveting as an example, and my guess is maybe this is something Paul struggled with. Remember, as a Pharisee, he would have been very concerned with outwardly how he was going to live. Coveting's pretty hard to see outwardly. Not many people are actually like, you know, slathering over something. Oh, I really want that. It's, it's usually an inward thing that we want and desire things. And the law points not only to our outward behavior, but it begins to pierce our hearts with what's going on inside of us that no one else can see. And Paul says, actually the law helps to look and reveal what my heart's really like. And see, all of us, I won't say all of us, I can, I'll just talk for myself, that I don't want to slow down and take a deep inner look at myself because sometimes I don't like what I see. So it's easier to just get really busy. But instead, God says, look, no, allow God's word to reveal what's really going on. Because why? Because it makes you feel guilty? No, because you can actually change inside. So second purpose of the law, then, is it reveals sin in us. Now, it says in verse, it's kind of a, a interesting verse in verse eight. It says, apart from the law. Sin is dead. Apart from the law, sin is dead. That means there's no sin apart from the law? No, there's still sin. You're just not really aware of it. And so 
you can still be, the, the, the meaning of dead in this case means it kind of lies latent or dormant. Well, you know, when you're hiking, if you've ever hiked a volcano, I've hiked a couple of volcanoes, I'd really like to know whether they're active or extinct. You know, a dormant volcano can go off, right? An extinct volcano doesn't. But it'd be really good to know if the volcano you're hiking is is latent or dormant, because then you can sort of watch, because if it begins to spit fire and lava at you, you probably want to leave, the problem is that sometimes in our lives we ignore God's law and it's telling us something and you're beginning to tread in areas where the lava is beginning to boil. And I've actually hiked up volcanoes where you can see the lava flowing underneath and the guide says, oh, no problem, no problem. And you're hoping he's right. But you see, we often walk in ways and our lives are telling us things are not right. And that's what the law does. It's telling us something's wrong. But if we ignore it, because without the law, sin is dead. That means it lies dormant and we don't pay attention. So the law actually helps us to pay attention. If we'll look at it, God says, don't do this. And then we begin to operate in it and we do it. And then when things begin to go badly, you know what we often do? Oh, it's society. If people just accepted my, you know, the way I was... That's the problem. Or the problem is, oh, I'm just not, um, I'm just not doing it the right way. If I did it a little differently. But when we don't live in reference to God, we don't live looking at what His Word and the law teaches, then we err. Third thing, the purpose of the law. Finally, this is not from this passage, but it relates. In Galatians 3, Paul says, the law acts like a tutor. And the tutor leads us to Christ. So a tutor teaches you what you need to know, but it isn't in and of itself the change that the the leading makes. Do you understand what I mean? The, the, The tutor says, this is what you need to know to be an educated person. This is what you need to know to pass the test. And the law teaches us this. And the end of it, it says, only What you really need is a savior. What the law tutors you to is the fact that you can't do it. Is that bad news or good news? Is it bad news or good news that you can't fulfill the law? Well, for people who want to become right with God through obeying the rules and being accepted, it's bad news that you can't do it. That your heart condition, even if you could obey the outward rules, you can't obey the inward rules. You might not have adultery, but you can say, well, I won't lust. You can say, well, I may not cheat on my taxes, but my heart wishes I had more money, that I lust after money. I want more. It can't change your heart. And the law teaches you that you need a Savior who changes you from the inside. So if we get the purpose of the law right, and that the lifeblood of all people in and of ourselves is our desire to be God. And what the law tells us is, I want to be in charge of my life. Going back to this example that I'm beating into the ground, but of, of this, uh, this, the speed limits. When you are, no, I was driving up here, I'll confess, I was driving up here at 5, 6 this morning on 29, all the green lights in Charlottesville. It was heaven. 
Like all those lights in Charlottesville, it was just green, 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 green. And, and the speed limit was at, at parts of that was 40 and it was, you know, six lanes wide, no traffic in sight. And I'll just confess to you once I went over 40 on there. <laughs> really for a long time, but it was w- just one long stretch. Did I know I was breaking the law? I did, right? I, I thought I knew better. I, I, I got here, didn't I? Right? Would it have been just for me to be pulled over and getting a ticket? Yes. I didn't. And you say, well, okay, good, you beat the consequences. No. That's, that's, that's the funny thing about the law, right? I, I stand guilty, aren't I? I'm guilty of breaking the law. God in His mercy has put off consequences for us of the ultimate consequence of breaking the law. You will die apart from God if your sin is all that happens to you and and, and you think, oh, I'm putting it off. I'm doing fine. I live for myself. I'm fine. No, you're not. You may feel fine right this second, but God says... There will come a day of judgment and you will come to me and you'll say, Lord, Lord, I was a really good person. Look at all the things I did. I made an Operation Christmas Child box. He says that and the Lord will say that is wonderful. But the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. And that there's no way to come to God, the Father, except through Jesus Christ, the Son. And that every person, no matter how many boxes you pack, no matter how many church services you attend, no matter how honest you are, no matter how much you've obeyed the law, that God's holiness and man's sin creates a separation that you cannot get across. And that Jesus Christ paved the way by sacrificing his life for you and for me, but that you have to live differently Trusting Him, not in yourself. Every law will stir up within us the knowledge that there are boundaries and we want to break them. And so Paul, we see in the rest of this chapter, this is the agony that Sarah read to us from 12 to 25. You heard it. I want to do the right thing, and yet I keep doing what I know I shouldn't do. I hate. Now, there's a great debate in this passage. This is one of the most debated passages in that Christians debate in all of Scripture, and here's why. Some say this is Paul's current condition. He is a Christian. He is trying to do what's right. And most Christians today, that's what you will read. We relate to the, I want to do this, and yet I keep messing up. And there's a truth in that. Most scholars will actually tell you, when they read it, Paul's referring to his life before he knew the Lord. There's arguments on both sides of this, and I won't go deep into it, but I, I would commend you to read um, you know, the, 
the commentaries, I mean, Tim Keller takes one position and John Piper takes another position. So, I mean, you've got people in the popular culture taking different positions on this. It's not a salvation issue. It doesn't matter. But it does have indication for us of things that I want to glean, no matter which view you take, whether Paul's talking about his life as a Jew, a a law-following Jew, and that's where he's in agony before, because Romans 6 and 8 both sort of paint a different picture. But Paul talks about it in the present tense, so that's why some people say, look, he's talking about his life now. Here are the things I think, no matter which view you take, you can glean of this. Two things are true throughout the book of Romans and in Romans 7. That sin, we talked about it last week, sin no longer rules you. It doesn't have the last word. You are not forced to do your selfish desires. And yet... What is also true is that we will continue to struggle. The struggle's never over until you die. I see this war in myself. Things, I, I call it a besetting sin. That's an old phrase that the Puritans used, and I like it because most of us have a couple of sins that we fall into. Like, my sins and your sins are probably different. Some, you know, people stand up and confess that they, you know, struggle with one thing or another, and, and you may look and say, well, I don't struggle with that. But you do struggle with something. If, and if you're human, at least all the humans I've met so far, you struggle with something a little worse than something else. So looking at your besetting sin, the impulse of this, the way you're wired and what you struggle with, will that impulse will never completely be in the rearview mirror. Now, I know some Christians would say, look, God gives you a new heart, new life, and, you know, you just, it's, it's gone forever. That is, I'll just tell you personally, it's not been my experience. That some things are muted, some things that I used to fall into when I was a younger man, and that were, they're, they're not the same level. God has done a great work, but they're not completely like if I ever think, oh, I could never do that again. And there are Christians, I'll tell you, that I put on pedestals that I think, oh, well, that person, I mean, they could never, I mean, they're beyond it. And you sit down with someone who's a saint who's walked with the Lord 30, 40, 50 years, and when they confess their sins to you, and you think, wow, we're all in this together. God knows we stumble and fall as we sang this morning. But God so loved the world that He sent His Son to save you. It is in acknowledging your need that you'll see the need for Jesus. So no sinful impulse ever completely in the rearview mirror. Number two, the struggle, and this is a corollary to this, the struggle is real and ongoing and you better be in the war. Famous line from Lord of the Rings. You know, they say, well, let's just ignore the war. I'm paraphrasing. And he says, you can ignore the war all you want, but the war is already upon you. The war and the battle for sin is engaged in you. And if you ignore it, it's to your peril. It can manifest itself in so many different ways. We see Paul saying at the end of this chapter 7 that we read, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. And then so thankful we're about to be in chapter 8. And we're going to see how to live and walk in newness of life in the power of the Holy Spirit. I said I was going to give you some things and this week, uh, over the next few weeks, I'm going to give you some really practical things of walking. If you want to walk in newness of life and a new way of life, 
First thing you do is accept Jesus Christ and take his promise and believe what he said was true. This is all predicated on that. Don't try to put these things into practice. They'll help you a little bit, but they won't help you like when you have the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you haven't surrendered your life completely, 100% to Jesus Christ, that's the first way to walk in newness of life. Let me go back to um, the, the third thing. So this things that I've looked at when I talk about the law, no sinful impulse ever in the completely in the rearview mirror. You never the struggle with sin is real and continues in this battle. And number three, if you are tempted to sin, you are fighting against it. You are in the right place in the church. Church gets a bad rap, sometimes deservedly for, oh, we just put our sins in the corner. The men's retreat, we spent most of the men's retreat sort of confessing sins publicly. I mean, there was a lot of what ended up happening was people, um, not because that was forced on people, but it's just part of our walk together. And um, the church is to be a place where we war together, right? There are things you, somebody said this on the retreat, it really struck me. There are things you would die for. You might die for your family, your kids, your spouse, something you believe in so deeply, but we need people to die with. Dying alone is, is fine, but you know what? If I'm in a foxhole fighting the battle, it's really nice in a 360 degree to have people up, you know, back to back that we're fighting this together. You need people that you know and trust well enough to die with. So, let's apply this. Let me give you some, as we close, a couple of practical applications. First, don't look down on people who are struggling with sins that you think are unbecoming. Every sin is pretty distasteful, but we find, I personally as a human find some distasteful more than others. Don't, if someone's confessing and struggling sins, just, just come alongside, encourage. Don't look down on them or say why their sins are, are worse or make, you know, in some, in some way, we're fellow strugglers. Number two, this passage we read is a very striking passage. You, you look more than anywhere else where Paul says, I'm just a wretch. I'm just, I'm falling. I'm, it, it seems whether it was prior to his coming to Christ or after, it's, it's a striking passage because he, he speaks so negatively, um, looking at his desires. I know nothing good dwells in me, nothing in my flesh. I have uh, no ability to carry out what I know is right. I do the evil I want to do, I, I don't want to do. Um, you know, it's, it's really somewhat hard to listen to. Don't build a summer home in chapter 7. It's really good to remember it, but I think God wants us to live in chapter 6 and 8. If you'll read these as a, as a parallel, that it's really good to remember that you're not above and no sin is ever in the rearview mirror, but there's ways to make progress. If you build your home and live and what a wretch you are, and I just, I just, I can't do it. Whatever your besetting sin, and it's just always going to get me. You're sort of living in chapter 7. And I think it's a reminder of what we need to do, which is live with the power of God helping us to grow. That is possible. You are not consigned to be your worst day over and over, a groundhog's day of your sins. That is not your lot that Jesus wants for you. 
Finally, chapter 8, and this is this will be the sort of first part of, of how do we walk in this newness of life. Chapter 8, we'll get into, there's no condemnation. The Spirit helps us. God is for us. Nothing can separate us. These are the, these are the hallmarks of somebody who's not just a Christian. Sometimes we, we look at Christianity as a, sort of our political positions. This is a way of life. This is God Himself living inside you. Chapter 8, if you look with me, this will be our closing scripture. This first principle of walking in the newness of life. Verse 5, chapter 8. Those who live according to the flesh, it's the old way of life, that's the law, that's living in sin, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Very practically, your thought life, I don't know what, I don't know what goes on. You don't know what goes on inside mine, right? You don't know, this is our inner, our inner world. But the Bible's very practical. It says this, if you want to live according to the flesh, according to the things of this world, then dwell on the things of the flesh. Whatever your, whether it's self-condemnation, whether it's things that would lead you into sinful areas, what you're listening to, what you're watching, uh, what you're reading, like, are you putting into your mind things that you know are contrary, principles that are contrary to what God wants, and that's what you're feeding yourself with? Well, don't be surprised at the end that that's what you're feeding. That's the part of your life you're feeding. If you want to walk in newness of life, then set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Philippians 4 gives us some really good practical things. Think on these things, what's pure, what's right, what's good, what's just. Think about those things. Listen, let the music you listen to, let the podcasts you listen to, let the books you read, let the things you consume, let the people who are, are speaking into your world, let them be things that would be, they can be, truthful and we can talk about negative things sometimes but let them be god honoring and you'll begin to walk in a newness of life you'll find the depression that plagues our world and certainly our nation with a polar polarizing negativity don't dwell in it it's not for the believer we can look at the problems that are there but we can look at them in a way that's redemptive that's part of what newness of life is so that's that'll be the first principle we'll look at. We'll pick up a little bit there next week as we see what does it mean to walk in a new way. All right, let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for your word, how practical it is. Lord, for those who are uh, listening either now or will be listening later and they just think, oh, I don't get this or I don't buy this, I just ask that you would love and draw them and help them to just question deeply and, and wonder. I thank you for the privilege of speaking to people in hearts who especially aren't really on this page. Lord, for those of us who have come to believe in you and trust in you, Lord, forgive us where our actions don't match up our words, where we don't live. We, we're doing the, like Paul says, we just doing the things we hate. Lord, I, I grieve when I do the things that I know I shouldn't do. 
I thank you for the law that points out to me where I fall short because it tells me I need a Savior and that I'm not all that. Humble us, Lord, so that we point to the only one who can save. And it certainly isn't me. It isn't the church. It isn't good things we do. It's Jesus Christ, the God-man who crucified was crucified on our behalf. Lord, the love that you showed for us, the grace that you've poured on us, make it real so that we long for it more than anything else in this world and that everything else is just meaningless to us in comparison with the the fact that God himself has set us free. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand with me, will you, while we close in worship.